0: Well, Christian greetings and Happy New Year to each of you. My desire is that in 2023 that we collectively as well as individually become more and more like Jesus as we follow Him and and worship Him. Now, um, as you know, we were having a waffle brunch following the service here, the uh, goal was to wrap up here by 11 o'clock. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. So if you could just kind of set that aside, the waffles will be ready after we're done. And uh, so that I can just share what the Lord has laid on my heart, I would appreciate that. It won't last until 12. So if I were to ask you, and I wouldn't mind seeing a raise of hands, how many of you believe that the Ten Commandments remain relevant to believers today? Okay, most of your hands go up. Um, I have certainly heard Christians say that that is part of the law, that doesn't really apply anymore, and I'm like, you know, which one would you throw out, you know, and, and maybe there are a couple that you could um, say that, well, that may, does that still apply? Several weeks ago, Wayne preached a message emphasizing the importance of obeying God's commandments, and obviously the Ten Commandments are are Ten Commandments, and I will mention here just the outset that this morning's message is first and foremost directed to myself. It is something that I have been thinking about and uh, have been increasingly convicted of and am trying to understand. Uh, I I feel like I have probably overlooked and neglected this so many times in the past. In fact, I don't recall ever hearing a sermon on the subject on this. uh, I don't remember preaching uh, on this subject in the last 26 years since I've been ordained. I'm not sure if I have heard any sermons on it or not. Why? Probably because I wrongfully deemed it unimportant or unnecessary. So what we're going to be looking at this morning is not a New Year's-themed message of goals and and so forth, but rather I want want to invite you to join me in looking at what Scripture teaches about the Sabbath and its relevance to today. And I will just say right away, don't get hung up on the word Sabbath. Uh, it's 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 broader than that, but I mean, that's the word that I have chosen to use. I want to explore a bit of the theology of this and the implications today as well as um, just thinking through some of the questions that we may have, and I'll say right now, I don't have the, all the answers, but it's something that I believe is important that we think about. We live in a culture that has largely disregarded the Sabbath, and that includes many Christians and perhaps to an extent even greater than what we realize as we dig into this. So I've entitled this morning's message, The Gift of the Sabbath. And while we're going to be looking at a number of uh, passages, scriptural passages this morning, the text for the sermon could be summarized with Jesus' words in Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, where he says, where Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was made for man. And I believe that if we grasp the meaning of that simple phrase that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago, we're going to see the value and the importance of the Sabbath in a much clearer way. Go back to Genesis 1 creation. God created everything out of nothing. Day one, he created light, separated it from the darkness. Day two, he separated the waters from the atmosphere. Day three, dry land, plants and trees. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, the fish and the birds. Day six, animals and mankind in the image of God. Scripture says there was evening and morning on each of these days. Each day was declared good. Day six was declared very good. But then in Genesis 2 The first three verses we read about the seventh day, and this was different from the other days for several reasons. Verse 1 of Genesis 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The work of creation, of those things that we can see, was complete at the end of day six. There was nothing more visibly that was to be created, and there was nothing visibly created on the seventh day. It says that God rested, and the Hebrew word for rested does not imply that God was tired or that he needed a nap. Rather, God rested in that he ceased working. He stopped, he paused, he reflected, he celebrated. And then God also blessed this original day of rest. And he says that he made it holy. He sanctified it. He made it distinct from the other six days. And he called this particular day holy. Rather than declaring it good or even very good, this day was holy. There's also no reference of morning or evening on the seventh day. The previous days all resulted in completions of certain aspects of creation. The seventh day was not completed, but rather it's intended to be ongoing. It's still ongoing. I have a book on my bookshelf that's entitled In Six Days Defending the Genesis Account of Creation, which I appreciate. But as I've studied and contemplated the Sabbath, I conclude that the creation was not fully completed in six days. Creation was completed in seven days. God created the day of rest on the seventh day. He didn't need this day of rest. Instead, he modeled it for those that are his image bearers, Adam and Eve, and for you and I. And this day of rest is really an integral part of creation, not an afterthought. And think about it. Adam and Eve were created on day six. They were instructed to fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. They were to work in the garden. Yet the very next day, God rested, modeling it for all creation. And given the perfect relationship with humanity... I believe Adam and Eve took a Sabbath with God on that, their first full day of existence before they had, even had the opportunity to do the work that God had given them to do. Interestingly, there is no further mention of the seventh day or a day of rest throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. Probably a, a span of probably 2,500 years or even more. That doesn't mean it wasn't practiced, but it's simply not mentioned in Scripture. The book of Exodus opens with God's chosen people having been enslaved for 400 years as slaves to the Pharaoh in Egypt. They were forced to work and work hard, probably seven days a week. They were just, they were slaves. They were their very survival was contingent on continuing to work non-stop. They probably had no concept of a day off, much less a weekly day of rest. Shortly after their miraculous deliverance from slavery in Egypt, they found themselves in a the desert without adequate food and water. And while God provided for them, the Israelites were grumbling and complaining that in Egypt, they never wondered what they were going to eat the next day, and uh, it didn't take them long to become dissatisfied. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 16, where we read that God's daily provision of manna is talked about, and this is the first time that we read the word Sabbath. And... uh, and so I want to look at this, and it's also God uses, or the language used, I should say, here is, is very similar, or some of the same language we read in, uh, in Genesis 2 regarding the Sabbath. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 of Exodus 16, the English Standard Version. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, he doesn't mention Sabbath in these verses, but here God is instructing them what to do. And then, um, jumping in at verse 16, I would like to read uh, a bit more of this account <clears throat> And this is Moses then, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you. They were wondering, what is this white stuff on the ground? Um, and as much as he can eat, and he shall, you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry at them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place, let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So here we see the Israelites still learning what it meant to trust God, to obey God because he commanded it. First they gather too much, then, they, then it spoils. Next, some of them gather too little on the sixth day like they're instructed, and I assume they go hungry. It doesn't explicitly say But this routine of God supplying their daily bread required the children of Israel to really trust God, literally day by day. He provided a double portion for them on the sixth day because he wanted the seventh day to be one of rest and reflection on God's care and provision for them. In verse 23, it says that the seventh day was a day of solemn rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Verse 29, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. And then verse 30, and so the people rested on the seventh day. It's easy to read over this and just think about that. Oh, that would be kind of neat. But I think we often forget this was not a one-time occurrence. Manna was their daily provision for the next 40 years. For 40 years, for more than 2,000 weeks, the Lord faithfully provided adequate food six days per week, and then reinforced week after week that the seventh day was a gift from God, a holy day, a day of rest, a day absent from their normal work that they were doing the other six days of the week. And this was all before the Ten Commandments were even given probably several weeks or months later. Turn over to Exodus 20 and we have the account of the Ten Commandments being given to Moses. Interestingly, there are more details given about the fourth commandment than any of the other ten. and The fourth commandment is about the Sabbath. And maybe even more fascinating is the fact that the Sabbath isn't only for people, but also for animals. The animals also deserve a Sabbath. Verses 8 to 11 in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we see again the instructions there of remembering, of keeping it, of it being called holy and blessed by the Lord. In Deuteronomy five, then. Uh, Moses recounts these ten Commandments and during his final instructions prior to his death verses 12 to 15 we just get a slightly different uh, language on this rather than saying remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy Deuteronomy 5:12 says observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord God commanded you six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath. The word remember has the idea of not just remembering it intellectually, talking about it, bragging about it, praising it, declaring it. Observe the Sabbath has more the idea of of practicing, of guarding it, of protecting it, of defending it, of keeping it. And we're to keep it holy. That's a day that is set apart. It's different from all the other days. It's focused on being with God. And the Sabbath is comprehensive, as I've already mentioned. It includes animals and servants, which you might think in terms of employees today. It is in this context of the moral law being given to the children of Israel that we see the creation principle more specifically articulated out how they were expected to live this out. And recall, during this time, they had the daily and weekly reminder of the manna, which also reinforced this principle day after day and week after week. The gift of the Sabbath was introduced and modeled in creation, then it was reinforced and more clearly established in the wilderness with the manna and the Ten Commandments. And what God thought of this was pretty clear. Exodus 31 states the consequences of not keeping this commandment. Exodus 31, verses 12 to 17. And I find this language quite striking. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord." Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between you, between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God considers the Sabbath critically important. Above all, keep The Sabbath. And then it is holy to those who practice it, and it is holy to the Lord. And it is an eternal sign that God rested and was refreshed on the seventh day of creation. Throughout history, many Jews have faithfully kept the Sabbath from sundown Friday until sundown Saturday, observing a 24 hour period of ceasing from work each week. At the same time, there was times in history when the Jews clearly violated the Sabbath and they were called out for it at different times. We see that in Nehemiah 13 and Jeremiah 17. We're not going to go there. But these uh, prophets speak out against the violations of the Sabbath. And then in an attempt to clarify what was and was not permitted on the Sabbath, many details were added by Jewish leaders in the centuries leading up to Jesus' ministry, leading to a legalistic attitude of what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath when he was actually only violating those things that were added by the Jewish leaders. Because of the accusations toward Jesus, I believe it can be easy for us Today, to assume that Jesus ignored the Sabbath commandment given in the Old Testament, and that it's no longer important or relevant to believers living in today's church age. It's interesting to think about the seven-day week. Why is it seven days? Why not five days or ten days? Some have actually challenged this. Following the French Revolution, as a defiant act against God, in 1792 the French government got rid of the seven-day week and established a ten-day week, believing that productivity would be increased with less frequent days off for worship and more days of work. After 13 years, they reverted to a seven-day work week, or 7-day week because they found that the health of their nation and their workers suffered when forced to work for 9 straight days rather than 6. And then in 1929, the Russians revolted against the Tsar, as well as God, and instead of adopting a 10-day week, they opted for a 5-day week to throw off the 7-day uh, believers, Jews and Christians. And uh, it also failed a few years later, and the seven-year, seven-day week has just been the rhythm, because that was what it was established by God in creation. Observing one day in seven is the way we were designed to function. While our calendars reflect seven-day weeks, there's another dynamic today that I believe influences us today in significant ways. It's called 24/7. They're just it just there is no break. Today it's more well first of all in the second half of the 20th century the accepted practice of the business being closed on Sundays began to change in this country. Today it's more rare to see a restaurant or a retail store not open on Sunday than it than otherwise. That means employees have to work Remember the fourth commandment about servants not having, or having the day off? Today, Chick-fil-A is an oddity because they chose to be closed one day a week in honor of the Sabbath. Yet their average sales exceed those fast food restaurants that remain open seven days a week. Several weeks ago, uh, Danny mentioned something about... Uh, I believe it was about B&H Photo. But B&H Photo is on 9th Avenue in Manhattan. It's the second largest privately owned photography and video store in the world. Up to 9,000 customers come through their doors every workday. What's unique is that they are owned and operated by a community of Hasidic Jews who still dress in 18th century garb at 1 p.m. every Friday, their doors close until after sundown on Saturday in Manhattan so that their employees may honor the Sabbath rest. Beyond their doors closing to the retail store, their online store is also closed. You can browse their website, but you cannot place an order between sundown Friday and sundown Saturday. And neither are they open or do they accept online orders on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. When asked why they do so, the director replied, we respond to a higher authority. What an example of modeling this even today. The reality is that keeping the Sabbath is both counterculture and extremely difficult in our everyday lives. Does that mean we should just go with the flow and ignore it? Does difficulty justify disregarding this creation principle that was established by God for our well-being? Neglecting or disregarding the Sabbath principle has become far too dominant within so-called Christianity and even within our own churches, I believe. I don't believe there's a time in history when so many people, including believers, are stressed out, depressed, physically exhausted, emotionally drained. You, you mention that. And my question is, are these the result, the direct result of neglecting or disregarding the Sabbath? A day of rest each week the way that God designed it. As I've studied scripture, I believe there probably is a strong correlation. What's even sadder is that our failure to model in our lives what God intended and commanded, we're depriving ourselves and others from the fullness of the gospel of Christ. The fullness of the gospel of Christ brings hope, peace, and rest. Matthew 11, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. I hope you're beginning to see the significance and the importance of practicing the Sabbath as God ordained it in creation. But there's also a lot of questions, and I'm not going to attempt to address all of these. I don't believe there's absolute clarity in Scripture on how we should practice the Sabbath. But there are some principles. I think attempting to specify such details has the tendency to end up in legalism, like it did for the Jewish leaders. But neither does it... It matters what we do or don't do. It does matter. And that it's not simply... We can't just simply spiritualize it and say that, well, our heart is more important than our actual actions. Keeping the Sabbath requires choices about what activities we engage in on that day. Scripture is clear that the seventh day, the Sabbath, should be set apart from the other days. And I think there's four key practices that I'd like to just quickly identify and as we discern how to best honor God in keeping this one day a week as holy and set apart for God. The first principle, practice, is that we should just stop. To stop is literally built into the literal meaning, is is built into the meaning of the word Sabbath. We have an endless list of tasks. We have things that need to be done. It might be checking emails, returning phone calls, paying bills, finishing the laundry, cleaning the house, changing oil in the car, mowing the lawn. The list goes on and on. And there's always just one more thing that we'd like to do before we stop. But when Sabbath comes, we simply stop. We embrace our limitations We embrace the reality that God alone is God, and He's the one that's indispensable. We're simply a creature, and the world won't stop if I stop. When God rested on the seventh day of creation, He stopped. He stopped working. Several months ago, I even preached several sermons on the value and the importance of work, and it is a good thing, and many of us enjoy working. So much that it consumes us. We're constantly thinking about it. We read books on how to improve our work. We dream about what else we could and should be doing. The Sabbath calls us to hit pause, to completely stop working, even thinking about work for 24 hours. Cease work by refusing to even engage in conversations about it. Another way we can stop for the Sabbath is by eliminating screen time on your phone, on all your devices. Turn it off for 24 hours. It won't be the end of the world. Stopping means we focus on God rather than our own interests. We stop our own pursuits and reflect on and pursue God. Rest is the second factor. Once we stop, what do we do? God rested. He ceased work and rested. We stop. We rest. We're okay doing nothing. Resting consists of filling our time with those things that delight and replenish our souls. Perhaps a nap, a long walk, a hike, a bike ride, reading, not related to work, uh, journaling. Consider replacing those activities that consume our time and energy with rest. Set aside physical, our physical exhaustion, our hurriedness, our multitasking, our competitiveness, our planning, our decision-making, running errands, just set that all aside and rest. When we stop the 24-7 cycle by intentionally slowing down, stopping, and resting, we honor our Creator and the image of God in us. As the great Winnie the Pooh stated so eloquently, says, don't underestimate the value of doing nothing of just going along, listening to all the things you can't hear, and not bothering. And um, there's a lot of truth in that, uh, that simple statement. Resting allows us to simply be with God without doing anything. Stopping and resting is not productive. It's not accomplishing anything, and yet that's exactly what the Sabbath is for, to simply be with God without doing Remember Mary and Martha. Jesus complimented Mary for simply sitting at his feet, while Martha was busy doing something for Jesus. Rest on the Sabbath is intended to refresh and rejuvenate our inner being. The third component is that of worship. A central component of the Sabbath is that it is always to be holy to the Lord. It's a time for pondering the love of God as the central focus of this day of rest. Throughout Jewish and Christian history, Sabbath has always included worship with God's people, where we feast on his presence, sing praises to the cre- our creator and redeemer, read and study scripture together, pray. This central tenet of keeping the Sabbath means that Sunday is an ideal time for observing the Sabbath for most people. Every Sabbath gives us a taste of what is to come. We see what, when we ultimately see Jesus face to face. The Jews had a day of preparation leading up to the Sabbath. There were things that needed to be done in order so that they could stop, rest, and worship. How do we prepare for worship? To receive the Word of God. What time do we go to bed the night before so that we can focus on the things of God? Is a time of solitude or silence helpful in preparing our hearts? Devout Jews have many traditions related to the Sabbath, including lighting candles at sunset as a reminder, as a visible reminder that now this is the Sabbath. They have special meals and so forth, etc., these traditions are all designed to help keep God in the center of their Sabbath. What we do, what do we do, what can we do by intentionally orienting our, our day of rest around God? We should look for meaningful ways to intentionally turn our hearts and our minds toward the giver of life. The fourth aspect is that of delight. At the end of day six of creation, God said it was very good. God delighted in what he had created. The term very good communicates a sense of joy, completion, wonder, and even playfulness about that. Now, over the years, I have attributed God's declaration of very good directly to the creation of man. I'm not sure that that's an accurate reading of scripture. Yes, God said on the the sixth day was very good after he created man, that is a fact. However, God was stepping, I believe God was stepping back and looking at finished creation as a whole. It included man, but it was everything on the first six days. God was looking at this finished creation product and saying, this is very good. We live in a culture where there is a deficiency of delight and pure enjoyment because of how pleasure and delight have been so distorted. On a day of rest, the one in seven days that we set aside as distinctly different from the other six. We're called to enjoy and delight in creation and the gifts God has given us. It's a time to slow down and enjoy the simple pleasures of life. In taking the time to enjoy the food we eat, the texture, the flavor, focusing on the beauty of a tree, a leaf, a flower, the sky, the sunset. Each of these created with great care by our loving God, that he, and he's given us the ability to see, hear, taste, touch, and smell all of these wonders in creation. The Sabbath day is a day to slow down and delight in the people that God has placed in our lives. Whether it's those we know well or those that we find it challenging to live with, every person is created in the image of God. Delighting in Sabbath gives us an opportunity, an invitation to healthy play. All of creation and life itself are, are God's gift of a playground to us. We're invited to enjoy it. When it comes to him, so there's those four things. We are to stop, rest, worship, and delight. Embracing the practice of setting apart a designated day each week by intentionally stopping, resting, worshiping, and delighting requires diligence. Yet that's how God designed us to function optimally. He integrated it right into creation itself. Observing the Sabbath might look different at different stages of life. A mother of preschoolers, a mother of uh, teenagers, or there's all kinds of life stages. It doesn't always look the same. But embrace the Sabbath as a gift from God. Find moments to observe and practice what God has given you. Now, most of us enjoy a good snow day. We wake up to a foot or two of snow and realize we're not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It doesn't matter what needed to be done, whether school or work or anything else. It likely won't get done. We have a free day to do whatever we want. We don't feel guilty about relaxing and doing nothing. Roads are closed. Stores are closed. There's not a list of obligations we face. We find something fun to do, like make donuts, make ice cream, make a snowman, put a puzzle together, take a nap, play games, make hot chocolate, read a book. Be with those that we love. Most of us would not give ourselves a snow day very often. We don't want to become lazy, or no one is lazy. But in a lot of ways, God has gifted us with a snow day every week. 52 times a year. God invites us to just take a break from the obligations and pressures just to be with him. Jesus invites us into this rest. This pause from work, and it's a tremendous gift from him. Again, from Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We don't do it for what we get out of it. We do it because that's how God created us. We do it out of obedience. We do it to acknowledge our trust in who God is and that he cares for us. And when we do that, we find ourselves at rest. Jesus invites us to a place of rest where those times when we feel most overwhelmed, that's when he's calling us to stop, to rest, to worship and delight in him, even when it doesn't make sense. A quote that I read several weeks ago that probably was the impetus for this sermon in a lot of ways by Wayne Mueller, he says this, If we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath, our pneumonia, our accidents create Sabbath for us. That's pretty sobering to think about that. That if we don't create Sabbath, God will intervene. The Hebrew writer specifically states that the Sabbath rest is for the people of God. This is not an Old Testament thing. He, Hebrews 4, 9-13. to So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We are instructed here that we're to strive to enter that rest. This carries the, the underlying word there would mean to be eager, to be diligent, zealous, to take pains, make every effort to enter that rest. It's not something that will happen by default. It requires intentionality and diligence. If we don't strive to enter this Sabbath rest, we have the same sort of disobedience that we see in the Old Testament by the children of Israel. God's inviting us to embrace this Sabbath rest he created for our good. He's inviting us to receive the Sabbath rest as a gift for each of us. He's inviting us to show our trust in him by stopping, resting, worshiping, and delighting in him one day each week. Back to the verse I mentioned earlier, the Sabbath was made for man. The challenge to each of you and myself first is to acknowledge the Sabbath for what it is. It is a gift from God. It's a day of rest that completed creation, a day that God sees from working, a weekly day of rest, is not only taught throughout scripture, it's commanded. It's to be holy, set apart from, distinctly different from the other six days. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. It's difficult to practice. But that's what he calls us to. Stopping, pausing work, taking a breath Quit doing or producing. Simply be with God. Resting. Worshiping. Gather with your brothers and sisters. Focus on God. Spend time simply basking in his presence and delighting. Slow down. Enjoy what God's given us. God's honored when we keep the Sabbath as he intended. Throughout this year, I challenge you, let's be sensitive to the Holy Spirit what he is teaching us about honoring God by keeping the Sabbath, setting aside one day each week for him, consistently, intentionally, and diligently. Let's pray that God will show us how to best remember and observe the Sabbath, one that honors him and his divine design for each of us. I believe God honors those who honor him, let's see what God will do in and through us as a church when we intentionally embrace the Sabbath as a gift from God and choose to adjust our lives and our lifestyles to His original design and purpose. Let's stand together for a benediction. Father, thank you for your love, your care for us. Thank you for establishing and modeling a day of rest in creation itself. And Lord, I pray that you would enable each one of us as we go from here, as we live our lives, as we go 24-7 from day to day, that you would just enable us to see the importance and the value of, of stopping and resting, worshiping and delighting in who you are and what you have done for us. I pray that we would find ways to surrender ourselves to your will when it comes to honoring one day per week for in honoring that as a way of, of acknowledging and just simply trusting you for who you are and what you have done for us and what you've provided for us. Pray that you would be at work at each one of our lives and as we go from here. Thank you for the privilege of fellowshipping together around food, and uh, thank you for friends. Thank you for everyone that is here today. I pray that you would... Further bless us as we fellowship, as we enjoy the food that's been prepared, as we uh, share with one another, be a way of honoring you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.